Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help raise your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's Ruined. Hey everybody, welcome back to Ruined. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And this is a podcast where we ruin a horror movie for you one a week forever until the sun burns out and we all turn to dust. <laughs> so like for another six to eight months, probably. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, well, we got 40 years tops, I think. I mean, like realistically, maybe. It depends on where you live. <laughs> Fun stuff. Can you record things over like a ham radio from a bunker? That's what we do with this podcast. Yes, yes. We are we are bunkered up. Bunk, um, we're bunker buddies. Bunker buddies. I would love was, to be bunker buddies with you. Yeah. I mean, well, fun. I guess we'll hopefully we'll be visiting each other's city when the big one hits. Yes. Yeah. 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 I do hope that we're just like casually one of us is in town for work in either New York or Los Angeles when uh, it all goes <laughs> south. <laughs> Um, well, uh, we are, we are back to, uh, kicking things off with some questions. We love your five-star spooky reviews, so please continue to give us those if you can. Uh, leave us a five-star review with a spooky, um, write-up, and we will read the extra scary ones on the podcast. Uh, and it also helps us get to make more podcasts because the algorithm is in charge of all of our things Mm -hmm. and most specifically our success and... You know, the more people that listen to this, the more stuff we get to do, like fun live shows and merch and things like that. Yeah, we all bow down to the algorithm, so. Yes, yes. And every little bit helps. It is our leader. Um, But we're back to, you know, some you guys write in such great questions, and we want to be able to address as many of them as we can. Um, And uh, this week, Jordana R. wrote in a great question that I love. And she said, question for you guys. What non-horror thing always bugs you when you see it in movies, horror or not? I personally hate seeing people waste food, like dropping a cup of coffee or scraping a plate into the garbage, which I love this question. Um, this Hallie, do you question. have one ready to go? I definitely Yeah, do. Um, mine is right off the top when, and this is such a cliche, I feel like this is like a Seinfeld bit or something, but it is true when people in TV and movies hang up without saying goodbye. I have never oh, hung up yes. a phone other than like Not- my phone died or I don't have reception. Never right. have I yeah. ever hung up on it, it could be somebody calling me to tell me they're gonna come to my house and kill me. I'd be like, okay, great, thanks for calling. Goodbye. Yeah. Never. I, I cannot think if there's ever been and I'm like, I'm like, what's a context where I I think I have possibly hung up on a nightmare customer service experience, like at the end of it, so fed up that I'm just like, okay, great. And like, but I think I would still say, okay, bye. Like yeah. I, I, I can't imagine just, like, not saying goodbye. That is a crazy thing that happens in every phone call. And also, why? I It's so strange. I, I, I can't understand it. I guess they're like, oh, we don't need it, like, whatever. But it's so obviously inhuman that when yeah. people insist on doing it, it's such a tip-off that you're watching something 
Yeah. Which is annoying. Like, I don't, yes. don't remind me. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to think if I've written it into anything, but it's, it's hard, hard to know. And I don't want to indict myself in this annoying thing, which I've probably definitely done as a writer. I've done it too, but only out of like, well, I need to like make this a little bit shorter. So I'm going to take right. out, but that's always a bad, it's a bad way to edit. Yes. If you're writing your own horror movie, don't edit that way because then people will start talking like aliens and, and it's yes. just not worth it. You know, just no. edit it in some other fashion. Uh, Allison, what yeah. is your thing that Ed sort of bugs you no matter what I genre think you're watching? It's similarly in the sense that, like, as whenever I see this, I'm, like, very aware that I'm watching, like, a scripted production television or, or movie, like, in, it, which is... When women carry a huge, big purse and clearly there's nothing in it, <laughs> yeah. like you can see, like where it's like it's like brand new and like everything, like all of the cre- it's not like you know we, ladies and gentlemen, we all carry around big bags full of crap all the time and like it wears like over. You can tell when there's something in a bag. I'm like yes, when, when you carry just like a large purse in the crook of your arm and it's clear that there is nothing. Maybe there's paper in there like filling out so it maintains the shape. You're just like. No, that's not how you would move around if you had a bag with, like, a wallet and a water bottle and a phone and, you know, a bunch of makeup and, like, stuff. Like, like that's just not how it moves. Like, you just can tell. I can just tell immediately that they're, like, it came out of a store and, like, went onto somebody's arm and that's the purse. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, as someone who my bags throughout the years has, I, I would say, permanently damaged my spine. Oh, I resent for sure. the idea of a fictional person who doesn't have to carry two laptops, a wallet, yes. their lunch and dinner. I mean, my God, yes. I mean, that's in L.A. and in New York. Right. Shoes. You know, you'd see people, <laughs> a gym bag, right? Like yes. a, a full change of clothes for the gym and for evening. Like yes. you had to li- be a little, a little camel and carry all your stuff. So I completely right. agree. It's a just great like, question. We just know. I love that question. Thank you for sending that in, Jordana. And please, everybody, any questions you have, again, horror or otherwise, this is this is an example of a question that isn't about horror that, like, absolutely is in our wheelhouse to answer. So please email us at ruined at theradiopoint.com, and we'll get to them. Um, I also want to address a comment. Um, we weren't planning to do this, but mm. Krista KZ, I'm going to say, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, she she asked on a, on the ruined Instagram. Could somebody tell me what gave Hal the impression that Carolyn is pregnant in The Conjuring? I watched this movie plenty of times. And I've never seen it mentioned that she's pregnant. Um, Krista, I want to tell you what it was. It, just her outfits. And I realized looking back, it's like you know, it's the seventies or what, I, whatever era. Like when she, they first arrived at the house, she's wearing like a high waisted dress with a belt, like belted at an empire mm-hmm. waist. And I saw it. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, she's pregnant. Now in retrospect, because. I looked up other clips. Uh, clearly, she's not pregnant. But the first hour I saw her, I'm like, well, she's pregnant. She got five kids. She can't stop getting pregnant. It fit, you know, and it's about mothers and it children. So I was like, yeah, okay, sure. That that makes sense for this character. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I also, I tried to Google, is she pregnant? You're right. She's absolutely not. But somebody <laughs> did write an essay about how they think the conjuring is really about abortion. And it's about how, like, she wants oh. to get an abortion, or that she's currently with current pregnancy, but it's like this struggle between, you know, the mother, the, the you know, sort of the decisions around death. And, and I thought that was interesting. Again, not true. Uh, that's not what happened in the movie. But right. sometimes when you watch the movie, it becomes true for you, you know? And yes. for me, I thought, okay, sure, she's pregnant. We As evidenced by her five children she has already. Yes. And also, like, I know what you mean by, like, the styles of clothing, like, before— 
even like I would say the 90s, it was like maternity wear was such a different, like it was such a specific look where it was like, all right, this lady, like you wear this and then like non-pregnant people wear like pants yeah, like and shirts or whatever. Like, dread, now, yeah, exactly. Now it's all like everybody wears whatever and like, you know, there's like plenty of options for everybody. But like, <laughs> it's true in the 70s, it was just like, there was like special, like, I don't know, even when I go back and like watch Mad Men, I'm like, oh, like, you know when the characters are pregnant because they're wearing like the dumbest shit. <laughs> Yeah, so that's on me. You're absolutely right. Thank you for clocking that. Um, but I, I'll say I enjoyed that little fantasy in my head in my head, and I'm glad I could pass it on, on to you. And that's the thing is, what I always like to stress is, uh, uh, we're completely unreliable narrators. I don't oh, even know absolutely. what I'm saying is correct. I'm just, no, just my we impression. Never know. And yeah. what's great about horror is, I don't think most of the time you're supposed to know. So a great example of, uh, I agree. we all had a good time, even though I was completely wrong. Yeah. And that should be the tagline for the podcast. <laughs> we all had a good time, even though we were completely wrong. <laughs> exactly. That's perfect. Um, this month is, of course, uh, families, horror families. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we've got a classic one about a, yes. a boy and his son. And as they literally say in the movie, a boy's best friend should always be his mother. We mm. are doing Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Um, and if you know Ooh. us from the, the bird... Uh, episode talking about what a truly huge asshole Alfred Hitchcock is. Mm -hmm. He certainly got up to a little bit of that on the on this, but not quite to the degree. But it's just sure. unfortunate that so many of our great filmmakers were such horrible people. So we yeah. just I just want to acknowledge that before we get into it. I it's 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 an unavoidable fact of filmmaking, yes, unfortunately. Yes. But it just feels like we shouldn't gloss over like a, a putrid human being, rotten to the core, absolutely. Yes. Unfortunately, yes. made some of our greatest movies. I mean, especially for this podcast, he's prolific, um, and and they're all great, and they get recommended. So we are, of course, going to cover them, but not without acknowledging uh, the realities of the artist behind them. Um, and we always like to um, have Allison watch the trailer. So, Allison, what did you think of the trailer for Psycho? I mean, a great trailer. Like, mm -hmm. this is a good, the, like, in, it's, like, so many cut-together, like, image, like, like short moments from the film, which is, like, the definition of a trailer, I guess. But, like, the moments from <laughs> the this film. The little images from the film, they put together and put they music put them over. They put order. So evocative. <laughs> it tells you what happens, but not everything. <laughs> um, but, like, it is so, like, stunning filmically and like the shots are so interesting and artistic that like even just seeing like stills like you're like this is mm -hmm. very like I'm in I'm so interested and also like we Psycho is a classic it is referenced I think like almost more than The Shining and in, in pop culture in terms of like parody and like um just the imagery and the sounds and kind of the mm -hmm. the this some of the loose story that I know like is just so embedded in our cultural kind of consciousness that I'm excited to finally have the context for a lot of it, which yeah. is always the fun thing when we do a classic because I'm like, oh, good, now I can know what everybody else knows. And yeah, so can I everybody listening. I feel like the first time I heard of Psycho, I believe, was a joke in the um, famous John Lovett's vehicle, The Critic, because, you know, it was about a <gasps> yes. lot of, like, parodying films. I believe yes. there was some sequence where they were recalling the shower scene in Psycho. And I was like, ah, yes. Much like The Simpsons for, you know, our generation. Where there'd yes. be a million jokes about something in pop culture and you'd have no idea, but you're like, I'll, I'll know that eventually. Yeah, and you're like, I can still tell that it's funny, <laughs> but I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I wanted to acknowledge, like, um, this is, Psycho's an interesting movie because sort of like how the Blair Witch Project, it was sort of like, oh, it's real. The the ad campaign for uh, Psycho was that you cannot enter the theater after the movie has started. And you cannot reveal the twist. Oh. Or you cannot, or the, you cannot reveal what happens in the film. And that was sort of like, there was literally like cutouts of Alfred Hitchcock, like the, you, they were put in movie theaters, like telling you like not to spoil anything. And it was sort of like, wow. Build, to, to build all this sort of, you know, dread and anticipation of what happens in the movie, it was very much a no spoilers allowed environment. Um, and which, again, I respect, but Absolutely. We, won't be, we will be violating immediately. Well, there's been, there's been some time that's passed. People had the chance to find out before yeah, this listening to this 1960. podcast. If you have not seen Psycho at this point, I'm sorry. One, shut You're this off. You're not gonna. <laughs> right. Two, that's on you. And to punish, as, as punishment, you have to watch the 1998 remake, remake which uh, I have not with seen. Vince Vaughn and Anne Heche? Yeah, sure is. Yeah. It sure is. Yeah. I've been, I well, well, we will do that, like, as sort of like a bonus episode. Like, I would like to yeah. see the, um, you know. It's a shot for shot, right? Um, That's my understanding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Psycho was nominated for four Academy Awards. And, of course, so why wouldn't you remake it in 1998 with Anne Heche? Um, <laughs> and it, another interesting thing that I thought was, like, cool is, like, this was after some of Hitchcock's um, colorized films, but he mm. wanted it to, there's a French film called Diabolique, and he was so taken by this oh, movie. I've that seen he wanted to. Oh, oh, how interesting. Okay, maybe we could, I haven't, so maybe we could do a reverse, which real ruined yeah, episode. it was and good. I mean, I took a lot of film classes in college, so that's how oh, that happened. Yeah. I wasn't just like, ooh, a French film from the 50s. Like, that's a Saturday. I just want to say, one time I went to Harvard to visit my friend, uh, Jess, who I've spoken about on the pod quite a bit. He's the one who, like, pranked called me a bunch. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I went to a film uh, class, and the the teacher was talking about how much he loved the movie Pootie Tang. And I can't remember we had to watch Pootie Tang or he just went in a oh long screen about Pootie Tang. But I thought, I was like, ah, Harvard. <laughs> Harvard. The Holland Halls. Um, <laughs> the Ivory Tower. But um, we always like to hear baseline scary before we get into mm-hmm. ruining a movie. Allison, how scary? I have two different things. One, okay. how scary do you find the idea of making a huge spontaneous decision that you almost immediately realize is going to ruin your life? I mean, I feel like I've done it, though I couldn't pinpoint, like, what those are. But, like, that's decision-making, I think, like, also, like, in our new modern anxiety-riddled world, and also as we get older, becomes harder and harder, I think. um, Yes. That, like, major decisions feel, like, heavier and heavier. Um, That's scary. I think that's scary. Yeah. Like, ruining your life, that can mean anything. I, I, yeah, I feel like, yeah, like you said, like as an anxious person, there's no big decision I would make without hemming and hawing, talking right. to people about it, spending time, writing the pros mm-hmm. and cons. So to have somebody in a movie just decide to do just, something really ill advised and then yeah. through the course of the film slowly realize, oh boy, I've really done it now. Yeah, Haunting. I can't relate to it, but it is terrifying. And then uh, my my second uh, baseline scary is how scary do you find the concept of running a small business with your mother? I mean, I could never do that. <laughs> um, I don't think that business 
in jet. Like, I don't want to run a small business like on my own or with like <laughs> a professional like expert in a in the field of running a small business. Like, I don't like even that is scary to me. But like, my mother and I, it would get it would be no. That would be what. Also, what even business could we run? When I think about it, I'm I like, imagine you opening be- like a like a beachfront, <laughs> like some kind of like. Souvenir like knickknack mm. shack where like she when has, you go to Maryland you get like I got crabs in Maryland I can imagine yeah, yeah. you guys writing something like that. We have often, uh, as we discuss the the ever worsening political climate in this country, um, we uh, often are like, where will we go when this all yes. falls apart? Like where when the civil war begins and the terrifying, you know, violence consumes this country. Where are we going? Or And we always say, we'll just go to the islands and, like, run a pina colada shack on the beach. That's, like, our plan. All right, well, so, I think you, it, you, you see, you see, you claimed it. This was, you never wouldn't do this, but you already have specific plans to run a small business. I think we would go to different islands and do this individually. <laughs> like, she could go to <laughs> Aruba and I'll go to Turks and, like, we'll, we'll you know, meet in the middle here and there. <laughs> Yeah, I, that seems like the healthiest way to do things. Um, I, and before we start, Allison, would you like to guess the Twisted Psycho? Do you know the Twisted Psycho? Guess the twist. I think I know a little bit. Like, I know, like, that his mother is doing something. I know, like, the mother. there's a reveal about the mother, mm-hmm. but I don't know if, like, the parody stuff I've seen is, like, true to, like, the facts of the movie or if, like, that's the joke. The best kind of parody. We don't really know what it is or what it's supposed to be saying. <laughs> right. Right. It's, like, perfect comedy. Um, I I think that, like, she murdered somebody. I'm going to say she murdered somebody. Love it. Great. So let us begin ruining Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, I also want to add for a fact, and obviously you could watch the trailer if you're listening to this, but there, um, the soundtrack is by Bernard Herrmann, and it's all strings. So it's yes. like that. He, 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 he. I think that's like what I knew about the movie before I knew anything else about this movie was the like, he, he, he. Like the... And boy, the is it effective. Yeah. It is really... And apparently the shower scene, again, based on my minimal reading, the... <laughs> We'll get to it, but there's certain scenes that we're not supposed to have any sound whatsoever, which is an interesting effect. But then Bernard's like, I'm just going to do that scene with my violins. And it, it became iconic and uh, really keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. <laughs> we open looking over beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. And it's Friday, December the 11th at 4.23 p.m., Allison. Oh, no. And we find Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee, has just finished a tryst with her boyfriend, Sam Loomis. Sam is headed back out of town. He lives in Fairvale, California, and he just has been coming to Phoenix on business. And they don't explain it in the movie so much, but I guess Psycho is based on a um, novel of the same name by Robert Block. And in the novel, they met on a cruise, which I thought was a very funny way to meet to say that they're now in a long-distance relationship. Yeah, I guess that makes sense for backstory, but it is funny. (laughs) And so Marion says, you know, listen, I— can't do this anymore. I can't just like every time you come into town, we sleep, we have to go to some seedy motel on my lunch break. And it's so hot here. It's Phoenix. Like, I don't want it to be a secret. And he's like, you know what? You're right. This shouldn't be a secret. Let's have dinner. Let's have dinner in public. You know, and she says, 
I don't I don't want it to just be public. I want it to be with my sister Lila. I want it to be in our house with like the photo of my mother on the wall. Like I want this to be legitimate. I she wants to get married. And the issue at okay. hand is that Sam is Sam's father has just died and he has just gotten divorced. So Sam is being crushed by debt. So his late father's debts and his alimony to his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, Marion, I live and sleep in a hardware store that I own. So it's like Loomis Hardware. Yeah. I sleep in it like a cot in the back. I cannot marry a woman in good conscience at my my place where I'm at now. I cannot make you move there. And Mary was like, I don't care. I would love with you. Like, I'll sleep in a cot in the back of a hardware store. Like, I live no, in Phoenix. But- you think that's so much better? You know? <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, she's sort of like, you know, how about you give me a call, you know, when you've decided that this is worth having? And he's like, mm-hmm. no, you know, I love you. And and they sort of leave things, like, they do care about each other, but, like, they're just in a bad situation right now. And, yeah. like, probably they're just going to keep boating, you know, every time Sam goes to town, like, yeah. once a month. Which Miriam finds, understandably, extremely unsatisfying. Yes. Um, and but haven't we all been there? Yeah, and he jokes with her like, "Yeah, like you could live with me, and we'll send the when we send the alimony checks to my ex-wife, you could lick the stamps." And it's like, Sam, you don't have to be making jokes what? about the situation. Come on. Like, Come yeah, on, things are not good. Like, but Marion, uh, Marion is bothered by it, you know, and you know, her thing is like, I've never been. You got you've already been married once. I've never been married. Like, I. I would like this to turn into something. Mm-hmm. And Sam Sam has to leave for the airport, but he's basically like, I want this to be something too. I want this to be respectable. I just don't, I just don't know right now if this is, if we're the place to go to the next step. And Miriam is like, okay. And she rushes back to the office where she works with this other secretary, Caroline, who immediately offers her tranquilizers because Miriam <laughs> had said like she had a headache and that's why she like left. The 60s were a the different day. time. Yeah, Caroline laughs and she goes, her husband, and she says, Teddy was furious when he found out I had taken tranquilizers. <laughs> and I'm like, well, at least Teddy had some, like, at least somebody knew him, like, what are you doing? You can't yeah, take tranquilizers for a headache. On. <laughs> um, also, Marion's uh, sister, Lila, has called to say she's going out of town for the weekend on a trip to do some buying. I don't know what kind of buying. In my mind, it's antiques. So that's what we're going right. to go with. Um, again, this is a purely subjective retelling of a film in which some details I might not know. And I don't <laughs> want to look them up. Um, just then, their a boss, Mr. Lowry, comes back with a client, Mr. Cassidy, who has decided to buy a big, fat piece of property on Harris Street. And Mr. Cassidy is like a rich blowhard. He's immediately hitting on Marion, who's like already depressed. And now she's like, I just want to get married. And now I have to like sit here as like the single woman and get hit on right. by like some rich douchebag. Yeah. And he says to her like, he was like gabbing. He goes, just so you know, I can keep my mouth shut sometimes. And she's like, don't talk to me. Like, I have to work here. Like, I'm not being paid to flirt with you. Ugh. And he tells her and Caroline, you know, my 18-year-old daughter is getting married tomorrow. And I'm extremely rich. And, you know, she's never had an unhappy day in her life, let alone a broke one. And the property that he's buying her is like a wedding present. And he's buying it with $40,000 cash. Allison, I calculated this to be like, how much is $40,000? So it's $40,000 in 1960. Allison, right. how much money do you think that would be in 2021 money? Like $120,000? It is $354,000. So this guy is dropping. But even then, I'm like, a home for that? Like, we should all be so lucky. But, but also, like, 
that back that like now, like when you say you bought something cash, it just means you had that much cash in your bank account and like you like buying something cash just means you had the liquid funds. Like I feel like him buying that cash means he brought cash to the place. Yes, he did. Okay. And he, he tells Marion, you know what I do with unhappiness? I buy it off. So Miriam's like, not only are you throwing this money in my face, like when I've just had to have this hard conversation about like how me and my boyfriend don't have enough money to get married and have li- live together, but right. also you're t- saying like your 18-year-old daughter's getting married and like, oh, like if you have money, you'll never be unhappy. Like he's he's like flirting with her with his wealth, but he's just like disgusting. But Ugh. as you said, $40,000 in cash is an insane amount of cash it's to bring insane. to an office. It's a- it's a crazy amount of money to carry around now. Oh, I, yeah. If I had $40,000 in my purse, you'd be like, what are you doing? Like, you're like, about I to like, hire a hitman or something. I have, like, $1,500 in my apartment in cash just from, like, spot pay for shows. And, like, I was like, I don't, like, like, I can't carry this to the bank. I don't even I like nervous. you saying it on the podcast. Now. I know. <laughs> Someone's going to come and steal it. I don't know how, but they're going to do That's it. That's all I have, so, you know. <laughs> so, so, just take that. Um, Caroline and Mr. Lau, even Mr. Lauer, you're like, that's an insane amount of cash to like do this. It's very unusual to like buy property with like physical cash. So Mr. Lauer is like, you know, how about we'll put it in the safe and then on Monday we'll sort of regroup. And because I think what we're supposed to understand is Mr. Lauer is like, I'm just going to have him write a check because I don't want to have to deal with all this money. Yes. Like, don't pay me in cash. Like, what kind of, I need like receipts and papers. Like, I can't just take right. a massive stack of money. And be like, business. here's your land. It's a huge hassle. <laughs> exactly. <Right. laughs> so he says, okay, we'll take the money. We'll put it in the safe until Monday. And, you know, if everything looks good, we'll put it through. And uh, it's, it, Mr. Uh, Cassie goes into Mr. Lowry's office. They're going to have a celebratory drink because as Mr. Cassie puts it, he's thirst rooney because he sucks. Yep. As he goes into his office, Lowry pulls Marion aside. He's like, I don't even want it in the office. Take this money to the bank and put it in a safe in our safe deposit box. Because God knows if somebody breaks in or something happens, like that's, I mean, it'll You're ruin fucked. my business. Yeah, like, yeah. this is too much money. And Caroline, as soon as they go into uh, Mr. Lowry's office, she's like, you know, he was really flirting with you. He must have seen my wedding ring. We love a confident queen, Caroline. I mean, we love it. Truly. Um, Marion uh, ducks into Mr. Lowry's office and says, okay, I'm going to take this to the bank, and then I, it's okay if I go home because I have a headache. And... You know, Mr. Cassie's like, oh, you go home, but you don't want to really fix that headache a weekend in Vegas. And she's like, stop oh my talking God. to me, sir. Like, sir, that is also objectively untrue. <laughs> right, I was like, that's just going to make it way worse. Way worse. Allison, Marion leaves with the money, but unfortunately for her, she does not take it to the bank. No. She takes it home, and she starts packing a suitcase. And my question Girl. for you, Allison, how much money in cash would it take for you to blow up your life and try to skip town? I mean, it would be more than $40,000. It would honestly be more than $340,000 or whatever that total was. That's like today's equivalent. I mean, I guess like nowadays, they'd be able to trace, like even if it was just cash, they'd be able to trace like whatever the numbers on it. They'd find you. Yeah, and like you would have your phone. Back then, maybe you could say because it's cash. Right. In 1960, I guess. I, I yeah. couldn't do it. I just don't have the constitution to be on the lamb. I, you know that. I I, I can barely handle having a home and a normal job. I can't be like a criminal. No, I just don't think it's like a life for me. Yeah. Um, but if I if there was going to be a number attached to it, it would have to be so high. But then you can't even really spend that money because <sighs> it would be like it's not like you could go buy like a fabulous house and like like you would have to leave the country. 
How do you, it's like, I guess, like, unless you're part of a criminal syndicate, like, it's hard mm-hmm, to, like, yeah. you'd have to change your name or you'd have to, like, get fake yeah. papers or something. Like, it would have you to be can't so just, much like, money that you'd have to reinvent yourself, which seems like such a hassle. So much work. And, like, you can't just, like, walk into, like, a fancy restaurant or, like, Saks and, like, start using that money. Which right. is the only reason <laughs> it would be worth having that much money is to, like, go blow money on stuff that you want. And you know, like, they'd find me in a Panera. You know what I mean? Like, they'd bust me right. when I was at, like, Arby's. Like, it wouldn't yes. even be something yeah, glamorous. It be. Yeah. Well, however, we're having a conversation that Mary, Marion should have had, and yes. but she didn't. So as she's driving out of town, you know, she's playing what will happen when she sees Sam, and she reveals how much money. So, like, what, will he be excited? Will he be <laughs> horrified, you know? Yeah, um, mm. Allison, as she's driving out of town, she stops at a red light. Across the crosswalk, she sees Mr. Lowry and Mr. Cassidy. They're, like, going out for a, you know, a drink at a bar, you know, to celebrate. Right. And Mr. Lowry sees her, and she kind of, like, waves, like, ha-ha, just going to the bank, because it's, you know, just, like, a half right. an hour later or something. But he looks at her, and he's like, what are you, I thought you were going, like, he immediately knows, like, that's Something's weird. Yeah. Up. But he, you know, he turns, and he keeps walking, and so she's like, okay. But you know that he knows something's up, and you know mm-hmm. that she knows that he knows. Like, that's when up. I would turn around and go back and do Absolutely. everything I'm supposed to do, and it's be like, sorry. I was just, like, really hungry, and I left to get a sandwich before I went I, to the bank or something. I had to go to the pharmacy and get my headache medication, and then I took it right to the bank. And maybe he yells at you for not going straight to the bank, but, like, you have sure. not stolen over right. $350,000 in uh, right. modern money. <laughs> Allison, Marion drives all night. She's barely able to stay awake, and eventually she has to pull over, exhausted, and nap on, like, a random rural highway um, between Arizona and California. In the morning, a highway patrol officer taps on her window and wakes her up, and she's immediately acting weird because she's not a criminal. She's just a regular lady who has made a terrible error in judgment. And she says, oh, you know, I almost had an accident, and I just meant to close my eyes for a few minutes. And he's like, is something wrong? Because you sure are acting like something's wrong. And um, she's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm totally fine. And he has to see her license, and she literally has to take the fat stack of cash out of her purse Oh, my to, like, God. pick out, like, she, like, turns her back to, so, like, kind of fishes wallet. it out to get her yeah. wallet out. But then he checks it, and it checks the license, it matches the license or whatever, so she's free to go. However, as she's driving, Marion sees the cop following her, clearly tipped off, like, okay, this woman, something is going on, like, either she's running from something or she's, something squirrely is going on with the car, something's up. Eventually, the cop takes a different exit, and Marion decides, I have to trade in my car for something a little more nondescript with California license plates, which is already more than I would have thought to do. I, true, yeah. But she stops We don't and, have the minds for crime. No, no, exactly. Yeah, I would have just driven into a ditch and like, had to call 911, <laughs> and I'd be like, please just take me to jail. I, we don't have to do a trial. <laughs> so she stops in a used car lot run by California Charlie, which I think is super fun. So we know that Amazing. she's made it to California. Yes, um, overnight. Great, great storytelling. And she's uh, she's waiting for the salesman to, like, come out and talk to her. And she buys a newspaper. And when she's buying a newspaper just from, like, a little, you know, box on the street, she looks up, and that same cop is parked across the street from mm. the used car lot. He's been following her. And she checks out the newspaper because, like, the Arizona newspaper, but there's nothing about her stealing the money yet. So she's like, okay, good. Like, <laughs> it's not, the cat's not out of a bag. Not yet. And so the, the salesman comes out and he starts to give her like the old wine and dime, shimmy and shake, you know, like trying to whatever. And she's like, can I just trade my card and get a new one? Very suspicious, Marion. Yeah. You are blowing it. Act like you've been there, girl. 
Yeah, and the salesman's like, oh, yeah, of course. This is what I do, baby. You know, like, just look around. The mechanic can check your car, and we'll see what the trade-in value is. And if there's any difference, you know, you could pay that. And Mirna's getting more and more freaked out um, because the cop is across the street staring at her. And when the salesman comes back, he literally, Marion just points to the nearest car. He's like, how about, how, how about that car? How much is that to trade in? And because he's a salesman, he's like, um, with your car, the trade in, uh, I think it's going to be about $700. $700 is over $5,300. So he's obviously just okay. throwing that number out there like, um, yeah. give me that much money. And Marion says, yep, that's fine. Which, again, he's like, you don't want to test drive it. You don't want to wait a day and a half like everyone else doesn't come back. You don't want to sit inside it and, and move the wheel like you're driving go bro broom. You don't want to do anything. <laughs> and then she pulls out $700 in cash, which the salesman thinks is even more bizarre. But, again, he's a salesman. He's not going to turn he's this like down. He's, like, taking the money. Yeah. And he's like, are, are you sure? Like, you're not being chased or something? And she says, no, I'm in a hurry. Very non-suspicious, Marion. Not job. at all. Just buying a car real quick on my way somewhere else. Yeah, and the guy's like, well, you have, like, the res- reg- uh, registration, right? Like, to prove this car is yours? And she's like, yes, I, I do. Can I use the bathroom? And she goes to the ladies' room. And she's like, fish out. Again, huge envelope of money. And count out, you know, the hundreds and, like, get to her paper. And I'm like, what is the plan, Mary? I'm like, everywhere you go, you have, like, yeah. a, hello, excuse me, I have to take my gigantic wad of more money than anyone has ever seen in their life. To, like, get stuff out of my purse. Like, even that, you should have bought a different bag. Yeah. Um, right, you, you packed. Know, exactly. You could have made some changes to the configuration of where the money and all your stuff is. The cop has been watching all this, and finally the cop pulls into the car dealership just in time to see Marion pulling out with her car. And California Charlie yells at her, like, hey! And she's like, well, they got me. I'm going to jail. But in reality, Allison, she has just left her suitcase and her coat in her old car, and the mechanic, like, runs it over to her. As you can imagine, that's Girl. even weirder. So they're like, ma'am, do you not want all your stuff that you left in your car? Like, what's going on? Very suspicious. Yeah, and the cop and the salesman, like, stand together, like, that's kind of weird. So back in the car, Miriam, like, you hear a lot of, like, her imagining the voiceover. So she's imagining, like, the cop and the salesman talking, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, that was a really wild thing, you know, it, I wonder why she's in such a hurry, you know, how suspicious it was, which it absolutely was. Yes. Um, She also imagines Mr. Lowry coming in on Monday and having Caroline call Mary's sister Lila, which is another thing. It's like you have not only abandoned your job and stolen this money, like your sister's going to wonder where you are. You live with her. Right, right. There are people that will notice your absence immediately. (laughs) Yeah, and usually a family member that you live with that's going to come up. Yeah. And then, and then there, then her even her imagining Mr. Lowry and Caroline's like, well, what if her headache was something worse? Like, is that why she's not in? Is she sick? Is she in the hospital? Like, we gotta find her. Like, even in her imagining, they're like trying to be helpful and nice. So I think it's her realizing, like, I fucked up real bad. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm but it's already happening. Um, and also in her imagining, Mr. She hears Mr. Cassidy say, I'm gonna track her down and make up any missing money with her soft flesh. It's like, oh boy, Ooh. Mr. Cassidy. As Marion drives, it starts to torrentially rain, and which, again, doesn't have a ton in Southern California. So we're like, we got to be mid-Northern California at this point. It's raining so bad. Marion is forced to pull over at the Bates Motel. Oh, the neon boy. sign is shining like a beacon, saying there's a vacancy. Mm. So Marion runs out of her car into the office and finds it empty. And it's just like that low, like, traditional motel shape. 
And then mm-hmm. on a hill next to the motel is a big old spooky house overlooking the place. Mm-hmm. And Marion can see in the window a woman in a long kind of old-fashioned dress walking past the window and being illuminated. So Miriam's like, oh, okay, great. There's somebody there. Miriam gets into the car and she starts honking. Running down the stairs to greet her from the hill is motel owner Norman Bates, who apologizes yes. for not hearing her. And he says, oh, we've got 12 vacancies because they moved the main highway, so there's nobody here but us. The only people who stop are people who are lost. Norman has Marion sign in, and Great. she lies, um, saying that her hometown is in Los Angeles, and she writes, like, the name Marie. It gives, like, a fake name. Okay. He puts her in room number one, which is the closest to the office, and he tells her, oh, you know, there's a restaurant that's still open, but it's torrentially raining. I could always um, make you some food. And she's like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll go to the diner. She's like, yeah, it's just five miles outside Fairvale. So she's only five miles from Sam's town. She is almost there. In my mind, I'm like, I would just get back on the road, but I guess it's just raining too hard. She doesn't feel like she can. I guess. So she decides it's to so close. <laughs> I know. Five miles. Norman gets her bag, and he sort of opens the window because the room is stuffy, and he asks Miriam if she'd like to come up to the house for sandwiches, and she agrees. So Norman says he'll be right back in a few with an umbrella. Allison, at this point in the movie, what would you do? What would you do? And I guess specifically what I'm saying is, are you going to have dinner with this guy you just met in this totally abandoned motel and ostensibly his mother, who you just saw in the window of of his house? No. I mean, I would just get back in the car and drive the five miles. Like, you you made it this far. Like, go the last five miles. Like, you're so close. Yeah, I would just be like, um, I'm good. I just wouldn't want to be spending any time in the middle of the night I'll totally alone with someone I don't know. But right. also, I would want a sandwich, so that's tough. I know, it's hard, because if you're hungry and you've been on the road, like, some food from someone's house sounds amazing. But I think I would be like, okay, like, just sleep through the night, like, eat some mints from your purse, figure it out. Don't spend more time. Like, every time she opens her mouth in front of someone she doesn't know, she, yes. like, further, like, worsens her the lie she's trying to live. So, like, I would be like, no, I got to just, like, shut up and, like, get to my final destination and then, you know, with no plan. Yeah, this is why most people can't be career criminals is because you can't just be talking to anyone. You know you're going to slip up and say something Mm -hmm. to, like, indicate where you're from or your actual name or the fact you're on the lam after stealing uh, $40,000. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. So, um, he run- Norman runs up to the house and, uh... She takes her newspaper and he, she hides the money. She folds up the newspaper and puts it on her nightstand. Great idea, Miriam. The perfect place to hide something on in the totally in the open on your nightstand. Right. Just like put it in your suitcase. What? But then she might leave it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. 
While she was doing that, we hear through the open window from that house on the hill an elderly woman's voice shouting, No, I won't have you bringing strange young girls for supper. By candlelight, I suppose, in the cheap erotic fashion of young men with cheap erotic minds. And then Norman begging her to calm down, saying, like, she's just a traveler. Shut up. Like, don't tell me what to do. And the, the woman's voice warns Norman, I won't have her enjoy my food or my son. So we know this is Mrs. Bates. This is Norman's mother. Yes. And I think we can go ahead and say she's emotionally abusive. Look, yes, this is not sure. a, a good, no. healthy parent-child no. relationship. Or even business partner one. Exactly. Yeah. Not only do you run a small business with your mother, you live with her. And also yeah. nobody comes to the motel. It's He needs to get out about. He needs yes. a vacation. yes. Minutes later, Norman, he embarrassedly brings food down to her, uh, to Marion, to eat. And he says, Mother, um, she isn't quite herself today. And Marion's super, ni- super nice about it. Again, she's on the lamb. And she, yeah, this is she best says, case well, scenario. Yeah, like, well, well, let's just eat here in the office. And I guess there's like a parlor behind the office. So they go in there. Allison, I have some bad news about the parlor. It is mm. full of taxidermied birds. No, why? Why? I don't, well, I don't know. And Ma- Norman tells Marion, you eat like a bird. Of course, that's sort of a misnomer because birds actually eat a tremendous amount. And it's like, boy, you are both bad at talking. Like, you are yeah. both terrible at a conversation. Yeah, no. Ugh, birds. And Norman says, you know, I, I don't stuff other animals. I only stuff birds because they're the only ones that look normal preserved. And Marion, because she doesn't want to say, is like, well, a man should have a hobby. And Norman <laughs> replies, it's more than a hobby. Hobby should pass the time, not consume it. It's like, okay, all okay. right, buddy. A lot of taxidermy going on. So your whole world is stuffing birds, and I'm here. Not good. With you. Not a good next scenario. To them. Yes. And Mary says, oh, this would like to do anything else. You go out with friends. Then he goes, oh, a boy's best friend is his mother. I find Mary, I'm like, look at the time. I am exhausted. Yeah. I'm going to eat this sandwich in my room. Thank you so much. Yes. Norman says to Marion, what are you running away from? And she says, uh, wait, uh, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He's like, well, you're at an absolutely abandoned motel. And I know that because I run this shithole. The right. only people who show up here are people who are maybe not on the up and up. And Norman tells her. I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. We scratch and, and claw, but only at the air, only at each other. And for all of it. We never budge an inch. And Marion, thinking about her own situation, says, sometimes we step into those traps intentionally. And Norman replies, I was born in mind. I don't mind, though. Norman. That's dark. So dark. Also, he's like, I think he's supposed to be like 30. You know what I mean? It's not like he's like, okay, I have to be resigned to my fate. Like, you're allowed to go drive five miles and like go out to a bar. You're allowed to like try to meet people. Right. You don't have to live... In solitude with your mother above the motel that you're both miserably running. Like, right. And then he, all the financial aspects, like, how do you run a motel where nobody stops? Like, it doesn't right. seem like much of a business. Like, how do you get the lights on? And Marion tells, tells him, well, you should mind it. And he, and he says, well, I actually really do. So we know that he's sad. And Miriam said, because again, she's not one to know how to have a conversation, tells him, you know, if anyone ever spoke to me the way your mother just did, and Norm says, no, it's it's fine. She's ill. You know, like, she didn't used to be like this. And Marion says, well, she sure sounded strong. And Norm says, no, no, I mean, she's ill. 
so I think you're saying like, I don't mean physically, I mean, she's physically unwell, but mentally she is ill. And we find out that Mrs. Bates had to raise Norman all on her own after Norman's father died when he was five. And then a few years ago, Mrs. Bates met a man and encouraged her to build the motel. So they've only had the motel for a little while, but then that guy died too. And Norman says, and the way he died, well, it was too great a loss for her and she lost her mind. So she loses her husband. She loses this, her lover. And now she's just insane and berates her son uh, over this, you know, sort of ruined motel. And Marion tells him, a son is a poor substitute for a lover. And every line, you're like, Mary, you got to go to your room, girl. You can't girl. be getting involved in this. That's a fair point. This but, is bad. Um, and she says, well, why don't you just go away? And Norm says, where? I, I have to look after her. If you love someone, you don't do that to them. And even if you hate them, I don't hate her. Just what she's become. And Marion sort of floats, you know, the idea of, like, maybe putting her into, like, an institution if she is mentally ill, like a sanitarium or something. And Norman sure. says, you mean a madhouse with laughter and tears and the cruel eyes staring at you? What do you know about it? But she's as harmless as one of these stuffed birds. And Norman is getting really worked up and distraught. And Marion just immediately backs out. I was like, I'm sorry. I just, it sounded like things were not great. And then, like, they have places that you could, have, never mind. I'm sorry. Yeah. And Norma says, It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? And Marion, thinking of her own situation, says, Yes, sometimes yeah, I mean, just one time can be enough. And then finally, Marion's like, Anywho, great to talk to you. I'm going to hit the hay, you know. (laughs) Got a lot Um, on my plate right now. And she tells Norman, I have to sleep because I'm driving back to Phoenix tomorrow. I stepped into a private trap back there, and I'd like to go back and try to pull myself out of it before it's too late. So Marion has decided. (laughs) I mean, but also based on talking to Norman, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I fucked up. I'm in this hotel talking to this absolutely weird guy. Yes. How did I get here? I need to backtrack. What can I do to rem? I can't go further down this path. And this comes up later, but I just want to flag now. Sam doesn't even know that she's coming. Like, Sam just saw her. Sam thinks, okay, I'm going to see you next time in Phoenix. I'll call you this weekend. So um, Norman kind of begs her to stay and chat with him. He's obviously so painfully lonely. But she's like, no, I'm going to get up at dawn. And he says, okay, I'll bring someone some breakfast, like, right at dawn and and see you off. Unfortunately, Allison, there's not going to be any breakfast at dawn. Ugh. Breakfast at dawn. Brutal. I know. I eat a strong cup of coffee. That's what breakfast at dawn. That's what breakfast at dawn is. And he's, as, as she's leaving, he said, says, you know, thank you so much. And then, like, as if, like, what's your last name? And, or what's your name? And she said, Miss Crane. However, when she goes to her room, Norman checks the book and sees that she's written the fake name Marie Samuels. So he knows that she's on the lam, that she's running yes. from something. And she knows that maybe she has been lying to him. Allison, Norman retires to the parlor, and he, of course, takes a painting, probably of a taxidermic bird, off of the wall, and he spies on her through a hole drilled in the, ho- in the motel oh. wall. And she undresses, and look, she might be on the lamp, but she has brought a beautiful silk robe, so she takes off of her clothes and puts on her robe. Well, she's going to see her lover. Like, you're bringing some of your fancy bedtime shit. That's, you're absolutely right. And he puts the painting back, because he feels guilty that he goes to the house on the hill, when Norman enters the house, we see it's, like, beautiful, but, like, and well-appointed, but, like, old. Like, everything is, like, creepy and looks like an elderly woman decorated it, you know. 
Oh, well. And we see him sit at the kitchen table to think. Back in her room, Marion is like, this is absolutely something I would do. She's like calculating how much money she spent from the $40,000 to see how much she'll have to pay back. We know that she spent the $700, but also like gas and like food and renting the motel. Yeah. And she rips it up and is about to throw it in the um, trash can, but then thinks better of it because it's like evidence. So she goes and she flushes it in the toilet. And I looked this up, and apparently this is the f- the first movie, American movie, where there is a flushing toilet in the film. Interesting. Yes, that was a big, like, change in, like, American cinema and television, like, when you could finally flush a toilet. I feel like also, like, when, like, they showed, like, a couple's bedroom on TV that had yeah. only one bed in it. That was, like, a huge deal because it was there was, like, a first time that that happened. That's crazy. And I, I it's interesting because it's sort of like, I guess they had seen toilets, but then like the actual flushing of the toilet was like a new thing. Yes. Which is so funny because like in a world where everyone is flushing toilets all day everywhere, it would be weird right. not to have it in a movie at some point, you know? At some point. You don't see or take a shit. I mean, like it's just the right. literal toilet and you hear the flushing. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, that, yeah, that's the, on the, the, you know, the director's cut. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, she you know, undresses, she gets in the shower, and she's enjoying the shower so much because she's been driving for, like, two days, like, sensing yeah. up. She does not hear someone enter the bathroom. <sighs> she turns just in time to see a woman in an old-timey dress with gray hair, and we're only seeing, like, the silhouette of the person. Okay. And the woman lifts a knife and pulls back the shower curtain and just psychos Marion. Just stabs her brutally to death. Ugh. She doesn't have... Re, she doesn't, re, re, and re. You, and then you hear the violence. Yeah. Re, re, re. And it's, I mean, it's horrifying. It's yeah. like incredibly shot. She collapses to the shower floor as, as the woman runs out and Marion's trying to pull herself up by the shower curtain but just ends up ripping the shower curtain t- down on top of her. And we zoom in on the shower drain as the blood and the water swirls down. Iconic scene. Um, unfortunately, Miriam is dead. And we zoom in on the newspaper bundle as we hear Norman shout from the house on the hill, Mother, no! Oh, God! Blood! Blood! And Norman runs down to Miriam's room to find her dead. And he panics. He accidentally knocks a picture of a bird off the wall. There's so many birds in this. And um, he shuts the window, and he's, like, trying to decide what to do. You know, the water's still running. This is not not Norman's first time at the, I'm going to have to cover up a murder rodeo. Yes, that makes sense. He runs to get a mop and a bucket for this wet-ass murder, and he wraps Marion in the shower curtain, and he cleans out, like, the tub and the sink. You know, he clearly has, you know, he's watching cleaning TikTok. He, it's an impeccable job. (laughs) And... Unfortunately, he puts Marion's body and all of her belongings in the trunk of her car. And he almost mm. leaves the rolled-up newspaper. But then he realizes, oh, okay, that's evidence, too. So he takes the newspaper, which he does not know is rolled around a fat stack of cash. Right. And he throws it in the trunk of Marion's corpse. He drives it to a swamp behind the motel, and he sinks it in the swamp. And it sinks so quickly that, you know, that you can't see anything from the road. Yes. So he has successfully and effectively covered this up. Next thing we know, Sam, we see Sam writing Marion a letter. And he says, you know what? So what if we're broken poor and live behind my hardware store? You know, at least we'll have each other. 
And it just, so as long as you haven't decided to throw me over for a wealthier guy the last week, haha, then let's take the plunge and get married. Oh, it's what she wanted. Ugh. Unfortunately, she did. Devastating. And I think we don't understand that this is like the next week. So like they haven't spoken. So it's like a couple days later. Mm-hmm. And in the other room, a customer is talk, talking the ear off of Sam's uh, sales clerk, Bob, and is reading him the, on the back of a pesticide can that says, they tell you what the ingredients are, and then it can kill every insect in the world, but they don't say whether it's a painful death. And I'm like, this pesticide is saying it could kill every insect every in the world? insect in this the world? Is, I guess this is why we had, like, laws, like, that you can't use, like, DDT or whatever DDT that was. Like, yeah. Nothing should be able to kill every insect in the world. There should be some no. that are strong enough. Yes, yes. Also, like, why does this guy care if these bugs die a painful death? I appreciate the sentiment, but also you're killing them. What are you going to do? Right, right. Just then, a beautiful blonde woman arrives looking for Sam, and this is Marion's Marian's sister, Lila, who has been desperately looking for Marion. And finally has showed up. He, she he, she knew about Sam, but hadn't met him before, and is like, did Marion run away to be with him and just not tell me? Like, are they right. in it together? Mm-hmm. She... You know, she arrives and she's like, is Marion here? And Sam's like, no, I haven't talked to her. I I assume she was just back in Phoenix. Just then, a private eye, Detective Milton Arbogast, arrives. And he is the one that reveals to Sam, who has no idea about any of this, that Marion has been accused of stealing $40,000. And Sam is, he's like, there's no way Marion would do that. And Lila's like... Sam, I got some bad news. Uh, she absolutely did do it, and she's yes. absolutely left with it. And I assume she must have been running here, but if she's not here, where the fuck is she? Where yeah. the fuck is she? And Arbogast, his first thing is, oh, you, Sam, you're, she is here. You're hiding her. You're in on it. Like, don't I know lovers, you know? Like, you I clearly sleep with your hardware store. Like, I bet you're in on it. Um, but, right, but like, I you want we, money. You don't have any. <laughs> Exactly. And so, like, they've been able to track her, basically, to pretty much right outside Fairvale. So they were able to find, talk to the cops, Mm. find out when she traded her car in. Like, they have all this information, but then at a certain point, she disappears. And Arbogast, he's a good private eye. He's worth, you know, the money that he's being paid. And he is grilling, he sets out and he grills everyone in Fairvale. He is knocking on doors. He is, like, talking to people, have you seen this woman? Of course, they haven't because she did not make it to Fairvale. Right. So he starts driving the highway out of Fairvale, and he makes it to, of course, the Bates Motel. Norman is outside just eating a big bag of candy corn. As if he didn't know this guy had a lot of problems. He's eating a sack of candy corn. And Arbogast rolls up, and he says, Hi, I'm I'm a PI. I'm looking for a girl. It's a private matter. And the family wants to forgive her. So I guess, like, that's the pitch. It's like, Cassidy wants, Mr. Cassidy wants to forgive her from stealing the money. Obviously, they just want the money, you know. Right. But we're like, you know, she clearly ran away. We just want to resolve this, you know, as peacefully as come. We don't have to call the police. And he, he says, you know, she may have used an alias. And he's like, nope, nobody's been here for the last couple of weeks. And he flips the sign on and says, yeah, the sign wasn't even on. Last week, a couple said if they hadn't seen the light, they would have thought the motel was deserted. And Arbogast immediately jumps on this. He's like, that's really interesting. Because you said nobody stopped by here in the last couple of weeks, but then he said last week a couple stopped by. Makes me think maybe you don't remember exactly. So let's see the sign-in book and see who stopped here. And of course, Norman, because he's also like a normal, not normal, but like he's not a mastermind, you know? He's right. like, um, I meant, yeah, somebody came in, but it, was, it wasn't her. Um, and he shows the book, and obviously we see Marie Samuels. And he says, ah. Oh, Arbogast says, I have a sample of her handwriting, and wouldn't you know it, they match. 
What are the odds? So now, now our guest is like, so what's going on here? You know, what what do you know? And and Norman uh, looks at the photo that our guest has, and he goes, oh, you know what? That is her. You know that now that now that I'm looking at it, um, it was just torrentially raining, and she just kind of ran inside, so I didn't really get a good look. And the photo is not good. And anyways, she left the next day on Sunday, and our guest says, Norman, I'm just going to ask you, did you spend the night with her? And he's like, no, I, I uh, of course I didn't. And uh, I, she just had a sandwich, and uh, then she went to sleep, and that was it. And Arbogast says, if I were to check the cabins, I would probably need a warrant for that. And Norman says, nope, you can come with me to change the sheets, and you could check every single cabin. And as Norman goes to, like, open up the first cabin door, Arbogast sees the profile of a woman sitting in a window in the house on the hill. And he says, Mommy. okay, so who's that woman? Is that Marion? <laughs> like, Arbogast is very right. direct. And Norman says, uh, no, it's no one. I mean, it's my mother. She's an invalid. She, we can't bother her, you know. Um, and Arbogas says, are you hiding, Marion? Like, are you, did she either sleep with you and you're like, mm-hmm. now you're sweet on her? Or is she paying you to sort of stow her away in your house? Because you're acting really weird. And I just really want you to know, if you're doing this for her, like, you're not, it's not gallant. You're just being a fool. Like, this woman right. is, a, is a criminal. And Norma says, well, she couldn't fool me. And even if she could, she couldn't fool my mother. And Arbogast says, oh, so your mother met her. Can I talk to your mother? I'd love to get your mother's thoughts on this woman coming. Did you speak to your mother about her? And Norman's like, I think you should leave. So, of course, Arbogast, when someone says, I think you should leave to someone who's looking for a missing person, Arbogast yeah, is like, okay, I know she's here. The biggest of red flags. Yes. Exactly. Again, I don't want to give tips for people who, like, uh, you know, kidnap people or are hiding right. a felon or whatever. Don't ask someone to leave. They're going to know that you have them, you know. Right. From the payphone outside, RBS calls Lila, who's staying at Sam's hardware store, like everyone does in Fairvale. Of course. And tells them, Marion was here. She stayed at cabin one because I saw her sign in under her fake name, but I know she was here. And this guy, Norman Bates, is the squirreliest motherfucker, and he will not let me talk to his mother, even though he said or implied that she spoke to Marion. And something is going on. I don't know whether Marion's in the house or they're helping her hide I'll yes. be back to Fairvale, and I'll sort of debrief you. But this is a huge lead. And I think, now that I've spoken to him, I think Sam didn't know Miriam was coming. Like, I think that he was genuinely shocked. Yes. Or that she was, you know, had stolen the money, which makes me think, like, it, it, it calls into question, like, is Norman in on it? Like, was she working with him? Like, how does she know Norman? Right. He's sort of obviously tipped off something happened at the ho- at the motel. Norman, of course— is freaking out because somebody is sniffing around the motel. He knows Arbogast isn't stupid, and he runs up to the big house. When Arbogast returns to the office to sort of be like, okay, bye, Norman, I'm going to be back. I absolutely know that you're involved in this. He sees the parlor door is open. So Arbogast gets to snooping. He snoops so hard. He snoops all the way up to the big house. He's going to snoop on Norman's mother and, like, sort of grill her on it. And he slowly snoops up the stairs to the second floor and we see a door slowly open. And suddenly the violins violin scream in. And the yes. same woman in the old-timey dress and gray hair leaps out of the darkness and just stabs Arbogast in the face. What? He, he collapses, and then we just see this woman stabbing him over and over again, stabbing him to death. Oh, Three boy. hours later, Lila and Sam are still waiting. Arbogast said he would be there in an hour. And they're like, Lila says, we have to go find Arbogast. Like, this is yeah. not, my sister's gone, and now the now. private eye that was looking for her has disappeared. Yes. 
And Sam's like, no, I'm sure he's just doing some leg where he's probably just doing some snooping. Like, it's going to be fine. But eventually Sam says, okay, I will go to the motel and check. You stay here. It's not safe for us both to go. And so Sam sets out for the Bates Motel, which brings me to my question, Allison. Who will survive? Who will survive? Oof. I think the sister? Lila. Lila. I think Sam and Lila will survive and that Norman and his mother die. You think they're toast? Okay, good. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. This this sort of reminds me of the, of the fake out in Malignant, where like the sister goes to the um, shutdown mental institute or yes. research hospital, and you think, okay, something's going to happen. Then she just shows back up. Uh, Sam just shows back up, and he's totally fine. <laughs> and he tells Lila, like, I a went fake there. Out. It was a total fake out, which I love. So Sam comes back to the hardware store. It's like a couple hours later, and he goes, um, I went to go look. There's no Arbogast, and there's no Norman. There's nobody there. And the only person I could see in the house on the hill was Bates' elderly mother. But when I went to go ring the doorbell, she either couldn't or she wouldn't come answer the door. So finally, they decide we're going to go wake up the sheriff. Sheriff Al Chambers and his wife, Mrs. Chambers, explain what the hell is going on. So now it's like, you know, it's the middle of the night. They go, the sheriff and his wife are in their robe, in their robes. And now not just one giant robe, robe. that would be a a (laughs) huge choice. And they're explaining, like, here's what's happening. Marion disappeared. Arbogast disappeared. And Sam says, Arbogast wanted to question Mrs. Bates. And Mrs. Chambers is like, oh, my God, Norman got married? And Sam says, no, 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 I mean Mrs. Bates, Norman's mother. And Lila explains, like, Marion did steal the $40,000, and we were hoping to get her to return it so she didn't go to jail, but right. that's kind of off the table now, you know. And Sheriff Chambers says, I got some bad news. Here's what I think happened. I think Arbogast found the money and is, like, just took off with it. I think he went to the motel, found out some bad Shit went down, and but took the cash and left for himself. And I mean, Sam's a good like, theory, because if anybody would know what crimes to do to get away with stealing that kind of money, a private yes. eye would. Yeah, and we, I mean, our guest seems like on the up and up, but like, again, if you were to find $40,000 and think, I can just abandon my life and, you know, go live in an island, I would absolutely there are do who it. Mm-hmm. So the sheriff says, "I, you know what, I'll call Norman and check in. Which is like, yeah, call the person who helped clean up the crime scene. Like, you're going to call someone and they're like, well, they said that, you know, she's not there. It's like, why would you just what are you talking about? anything Norman? Like, <laughs> yes. hey, you've met Norman. You know he's a weirdo. Yeah. He lives near your town. He runs an abandoned motel with his insane mother. Like, are we really going to, oh, if Norman says something, we're going to trust him? But, anywho, he does call Norman and, and Norm says, yep, Arbogast stopped by, and then he left when he said he did, so I haven't seen him for hours, so I don't know. And the sheriff says, 
You know, I knew the PI was lying, which is why I thought he ran off the money. He lied because you said that he claimed that he was going to talk to Mrs. Bates, Norman's mother. And Sam and Lila are like, yeah, like, why? that seems normal. Right. Allison, Sheriff Chambers tells them, Mrs. Bates died 10 years ago in a murder-suicide. What? She poisoned the man she was seeing, like, the, her lover after her husband died when she found out that he was actually married. Respect. And then she took the poison herself, and Norman found them together in bed. Oh. And Sam and Lila are like, okay. But then Sam says, but I saw an elderly woman sitting in the window. And Arbogast said that he saw a woman in the window too. Like, And the sheriff right. says, well, if that woman is Mrs. Bates, then who's that woman buried out there in Green Lawn Cemetery? That's a great <sighs> question, Sheriff. That's a great question. Back at the big house, we hear Norman and Mrs. Bates arguing. We don't see them. We, you know, we don't see Mrs. Bates. And he tells her, you have to go hide in the fruit cellar just for a few days just so this blows over. And she's like, I'm not hiding in the fruit cellar. I won't let you put me down there. So Norman picks her up, and we see her carrying this elderly woman into the basement and kind of just tuck her away. Because ostensibly everyone assumes that she's dead based on the information we just got from the sheriff. And he tucks her into the fruit cellar. In the morning, Lila and Sam go and they find the sheriff and Mrs. Chambers just as they're leaving church. And the sheriff has said, look, I've already been up to the Bates Motel and to the house. There, There is no Mrs. Bates. Like, I just saw Norman. I looked around. I didn't see Mrs. Bates. So mm-hmm. if there was a woman, I don't know who it was, but she's not there now. So just come and make a missing persons report. And Mrs. Chambers says, come over for dinner. And you could do the reporting then. It's like, oh, how fun. A dinner party while I make a missing persons report for my missing sister and the private yeah. detective that was lis- looking for her. Fun like, party cool. games. What? <laughs> Lila, because she's a good sister, is like, no, like, this is the last place Marion was seen. This is obviously fucked up. Our guest still hasn't turned up. We have to go. And Sam's like, yeah, we have to. And this is going to suck. So because Norman has not seen either of them, Lila says, we're going to drive there. We're going to post the married couple. We're just going to rent a room. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get our snoop on. Fish around. Yeah. And um, we'll search for the motel and Norman isn't watching, which isn't going to happen because that's all Norman has to do. He doesn't even have a TV. He's obviously going to be watching him. There's no other guests. There's nothing. So they go there and and Sam insists on signing in and getting a receipt for everything. He's like, oh, it's a work trip. I just need to see the sign-in book and I need to get a receipt for the $10 deposit. You know, and Norman puts him in cabin 10 and Lila's like, okay, like, look at this shithole. Norman must have killed Marion. I'd taken the money. And now, I like, obviously that's what happened. Like, he found out that she was right. carrying all his cash. He saw his opportunity. Logical. But I can't wait a year until he builds, like, an actually nice new motel, which I thought was fun. Like, he, he was going to steal it and then build another Put motel. Put it back into the business. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it, it, he should, really. Um, that's the most responsible financial thing to do is to, you know, invest it. Exactly, yeah. Um, but she's like, I can't wait until he opens a non-shitty hotel in a year to find proof. And she also thinks Arbogast wouldn't just steal the money at Bolt because he seemed invested. And I'm like, we don't, yes, but we don't know Arbogast. Like, you can't be making that kind of generalization. And Sam says, you're right, fuck this Norman guy. And they're able to sneak into cabin one to look for clues. Unfortunately, Norman has done an excellent job cleaning up the room. However, Sam clocks that there's no shower curtain, which is odd. Mm-hmm. And Lila finds one of the tiny shreds of paper that Marion th- threw in the toilet, but I guess it didn't successfully flush. So there's actually a toilet relate. The toilet all ties together in the evidence. So the first, the first audible flush in American cinema isn't even a full flush. 
it's it's like Chekhov's toilet. Like if yes. you hear a toilet yes. flush in the first act, there's gonna be a there's piece of evidence in the toilet in mm-hmm. the third act. Yes, that is that is the rule. Unfortunately, it's the piece of paper you can see that she's somebody is subtracting something from forty thousand dollars. <laughs> so it's like, it's like obviously okay. she was there, and Lila's like. She must have known the end of money. And he's like, I don't know. Like, it was in the toilet. He never denied Marion stayed here. He just said that she left in the morning. And he's like, okay, Norman's not going to tell us anything. We need to get to that mother of his, and we got to find out. You distract him, and I will sneak into the house. And, and Lila says, I can handle a sick old woman. All right. I also wanted to add that I read a thing that Hitchcock said the movie was supposed to be a dark comedy, which I thought is was wild because it's so obviously not. And also he yeah. has done movies that are very successfully like horror comedies or a horror like comedy thrillers like Rear yes. Window, which is yes. genuinely very funny but also has a murder mystery. So it's like right. this is supposed to be a comedy. It's like I, you should have gone way further then. Like you needed it yeah. to be goofier. Or yeah, like this more is just absurd. a couple of like delivered lines that are, like, kind of comedic, but still just, like, a dark, scary movie. Yeah. So, you know, Lila, Sam tells Lila, okay, I'm going to distract him. If you find anything out from the old woman, do not stop to tell me. Just get the hell out of here and go back to town. So don't don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'll handle myself. Mm-hmm. If you find something, just hit the road. Um, luckily, Norman, a bad social skills, so Sam's able to corner him. And it's sort of asking him all these leading things like, boy, I, if I ran a motel, I'd do anything to get away. I'd go crazy if I lived here. Frankly, it'd be perfectly normal to be crazy out here. Norman's like, uh-huh, okay. Why well, doesn't seem a little extreme? But Lila makes it into Mrs. Bates' room. Looks, obviously, an elderly woman lives in this house, but there's no Mrs. Bates. So she makes her way downstairs. Meanwhile, oh, no. Sam is bad at stalling. You know what I mean? And I yeah. have the same issue. I'm like, what do you say, you know? After a while, and he tells Norman, wouldn't you want to get away since you wouldn't have to hide your mother? And Norman realizes, wait a minute, where's the woman you have with you? And he bashes Sam on the head with a vase and knocks him out and runs up to the house on the hill. And Lila's about to come out the front door, but she sees Norman's running up the steps. So she ducks into the basement stairwell and is kind of like forced to go down in the basement to hide. Okay. Allison... In the basement, Lila finds Mrs. Bates sitting in a chair facing the wall. And when she puts her hand on Mrs. Bates' shoulder, Mrs. Bates swings around, revealing she's dead as hell. She's absolutely dead. She's got Ugh. no eyes. Her hand no eyes. She's like the crypt keeper. Like she's been mummified. In oh fact, my God. just like the birds. She's been taxidermied. Oh no. He did a piss poor job of it. She looks awful. He didn't even put fake eyes in her head. Well, he's right that, like, birds are the only ones that look normal, stuffed dead. Yeah, but I imagine when you stuff a bird, you still have to, like, glue on some eyeballs. You know what I mean? Like, the stuff that's not Yeah, you gotta throw some eyes on there. Yeah. Yeah. Just then, Norman bursts into the cellar, holding a butcher knife, screaming. He's wearing his mother's dress and a gray wig. And in that moment, he is Mrs. Bates. Luckily, Sam is right behind him, and he's able to, like, wrestle the knife out of Norman's hand Norman's hand as Norman silently screams. You just hear the violin screaming. That night at the courthouse, Lila and Sam sit with Sheriff Chambers and a couple other detectives, and they're saying, okay, the psychiatrist is talking to Norman, and he'll have to come up with the answers because I don't know what the fuck happened, which is you love to hear from a sheriff. Yeah, they're like, we'll just wait for this crazy person. <laughs> and then Dr. Richmond emerges. This I'm going to look up the name of this actor. Dr. Richmond is there. It's a, uh, Simon Oakland plays Dr. Richmond. Okay. 
He's in this movie for two minutes and he chews through this dialogue. He is just like the glances and the the gestures. Like he is eating the scenery and it's so fun because he's like, I have to have my moment. Um, So Dr. Richmond emerges and he tells them, I got the whole story, but not from Norman. From his mother. Norman Bates no longer exists. He only half existed to begin with. Probably for all time. Lila's like, okay, yeah, but did he murder my sister? Like, what the fuck? Cut to the chase. And Dr. Richmond says, yes and no. Every line he says is like that, and it killed me. It was so good. That's so great. And the other text was like, if you're trying to, like, lay the groundwork for, like, a— uh, insanity plea, like, can we just knock it out? And and yes, <laughs> Dr. Rich was like, I don't lay the groundwork for any kind of plea. A psychiatrist just tells you what happened. It's like, all right. Come on, man. And he asked the detectives, do you have any other missing persons cases? And they're like, well, now that you mentioned it, a couple other young, beautiful women have gone missing. Oh, from how the strange. Area. And Dr. Richmond says, Norman murdered his mother and and his mother's lover. His mother was a clinging, demanding woman, aren't we all? Until she met a man, and then when she gave him more attention, Norman killed them both. So he was, like, jealous of his mother when her affection with someone else. He stole her corpse. Even treated it to keep it as well as it would keep. And that still wasn't enough. So he began to think and speak for her. He was never all Norman. But he was often only mother. Unfortunately, because he was wildly jealous of his mother, he assumed his mother was wildly jealous of him. So if Norman ever felt any attraction to another woman, the mother outside of him went wild and became homicidal. So he was attracted to Miriam, Marion, and it set off the mother's side who killed her. And the other detective says, oh, so he was a transvestite. It's like, that's what you got from this? What? Like, this is way more complicated than that. It's That is not at all what's happening. <laughs> And Dr. Richmond's like, well, no, a transvestite, which is a term you just don't hear anymore. But it's like, yeah. oh, a transvestite is someone who does that, like, because they enjoy it. And it's sort of the fantasy. They're living the fantasy. Um, but this is about keeping his mother alive and dressing it as his mother and being his mother. And the thing that would threaten the d- illusion was when he would desire another woman. And when that happened, he would have a psychotic break and he would become his mother. And they said, okay, so it wasn't to steal the $40,000? And he says, no, it, it belongs to the swamp probably. Like, it's it's gone. Like, he didn't right. even probably even know there was money. The money is just didn't make it through this movie. <laughs> yeah, the money was a red herring. Just then, a police officer sticks his head and says, he feels a chill. Can I give him this blanket? And we follow this police officer to the interrogation room where we hear Mrs. Bates, voiced mm-hmm. by Virginia Gregg. So we, he is now... We are fully in the voice of Mrs. Bates. Mother, yeah. And we zoom in on Norman, who has a blanket on, and we hear the voiceover of Mrs. Bates says, he was always bad. And in the end, he intended to tell them that I killed those girls and that man, as if I could do anything but sit and stare. And Norman looks down, and there's a fly crawling on his hand, and we hear Mrs. Bates decide, I won't even swat that fly. Then they'll see. I couldn't have heard a fly. And Norman looks up and he grins directly at the camera. His face sort of momentarily morphing into his mother's corpse face. No! And then we end on the the film's final image, Marion's car being hauled out of the swamp. The end. Wow. Wow! What a twist! Allison, what are, if there were any, some fatal mistakes people made in the film Psycho? (laughs) 
I mean, I guess every single move that Marion made from yeah. the from meeting someone on a cruise in the book on. Like just every like you can't blow up your life for 40 grand, especially if you're like not a good liar and like mm-hmm. there's just every single step she was she was mistaken. I think if you're driving multiple days to see someone, you have to tell them you're coming. Huge mistake. 100%. To not tell Sam. And just make it up. Be like, you know what? I couldn't stand not to see you. I have the weekend. Whatever. Like, I'm going to take some days off. Just You don't have to tell them about the crime just then. Just say, hey, I'm coming. Give them a heads up. Because then at at least least people would know. Yes. That you didn't get there. Um, I also think, like, um, being so wildly sexually jealous of your mother— and yes. not and not not maybe trying to address that. Uh, that seems yes. like a fatal mistake. Yes, yes. And instead, taking it into your own hands and Huge attempting mistake. to run a motel with her. Uh, yes, uh, as she exists in your mind, which is a yes. a different personality that you entirely. And I guess where I think at the end, Norman is gone forever, and he's just going to be Miss Spates. And I know there mm-hmm. are sequels to Psycho, which I think are notoriously bad. So that Hitchcock made or other people made? I think it's other people, but I think it's with Anthony Perkins. Let's see. Psycho 2. Oh my God. Yeah, it came out 23 years later. Oh my God. And um, yes. Yeah, 22 years after his killing spree. Um, oh, apparently, Norman gets out of, um, you know, whatever mental asylum that they put him in. And yeah. um, they decide that he is, in fact, Cured, which I'm Fit. assuming is going to yeah. be a mistake because of, uh, it's called of Psycho course. Um Another interesting thing they cut out of the film is that Mar- uh, Lila and Sam were supposed to have a romance. And then they decided, like, oh. well, they kind of make Sam seem like a dirtbag. Like, she's only been gone for, like, a week. And he's yeah, only known about it for a couple days. Like, it just doesn't seem like, appropriate. Yeah, and all of a sudden he's like, I'll fuck her sister. And it's like, mm. Yes. But I will say in Psycho 2, apparently they do eventually get married. Oh, great. So it all worked out. You know, so it all worked out. That's the way I look at Psycho. Hey, you know, things shake out and shake out. It all worked out. And then finally, Allison, where would you place Psycho on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. Ooh, I mean, the way it's shot and the, the score are so, like, iconically terrifying that I think, like, even though it's not, like, the you know, the uh, the scary modern, I think like a six. A six. Okay, great. What do you, you think? Know, I, I really like the film. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you know, you, I'm not telling anyone they don't, something they don't know when I say the psych, Psycho is a great psych- movie. Right. But as the movie, I do not find that scary. And I okay. think it's because, I, like, you're seeing Norman clean up the mess and, like, sort of panic. And obviously that's to see the idea that he's mother is the one killing them. But I think for me, it's sort of like there's, you lose the suspense when you're watching like somebody furiously clean up. Then I guess it becomes more of like a, yeah, like a murder mystery or a thriller. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, it does seem like a bit more into closer to thriller than horror. Yeah. But again, loved it. Absolutely loved it. The spooky scale is of course- I, the how spooky a film is, not how good of a film. Psycho is an incredible right. film. Yes. I'm going to say a four. 
I'm going to say a four. Not that super sounds spooky, right. but a, an absolute a pleasure to rewatch. I mean, as good as I remembered it. And um, yeah, the violins. The, the violins. For the, the soundtrack, which it remains yes. absolutely terrifying. Yes. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. We hope you enjoyed it. And please. You gotta keep uh, it. Keep, keep, keep it, it spooky. spooky. Thank you, guys. Bye. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.